In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this evening to spend a few minutes listening to you, talking to you, examining our life, because with your help, we can change, because we can't get to heaven without constantly changing, converting, trying to be better, not plateauing, not going, growing comfortable along the way. We have to fight like we're in a fight, St. Paul said. We have to run like we want to win the race. And some of us are getting older. See a few gray heads out there like mine. We want to sprint into the finish. The best way to finish. Our topic today is confession, the sacrament of penance. And I'd like to start with the gospel scene of Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee when the sinful woman comes in. A Pharisee invited him to dine with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Of course, in those days, they didn't have tables and chairs like we do, but they actually, like good Bedouins, they grew up in living in tents and everything and sitting on the ground. They reclined in kind of, you know, little couches around the meal. Now, there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that he was at table in the house of the Pharisee, bringing an alabaster flask of ointment or perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw, that, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days' wages, the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said, reply, the one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, which was customary to do 
for a guest. But she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, customary for guests. But she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, Woman, your sins are forgiven. And the others at table said to themselves, Who is this forgive, who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. We come face to face tonight before Jesus in the tabernacle, who is here, who, who can forgive sins but God alone? If we are perceptive, we see that Jesus is subtly announcing to everyone that he is God himself. We should go off into these scenes to get to know Jesus to enter to the scenes and watch with their eyes wide open. Through these scenes, we learn how to deal with Jesus, who is still alive and still close, very close, and who is indeed literally dying that we might live forever with him in heaven. But we have to decide to become his disciple. This Pharisee obviously wanted the young preacher to come to his house. The well-known preacher who was getting a certain buzz about him. He wanted him to come to his house. But he kept his distance. He didn't want anyone to think that he was actually a friend or a follower of Jesus. It was all quite political. Maybe you and I are that way at times. At times it's good to say we're Christian or Catholic, but we don't want to show that we're particularly close to Jesus. And we keep our distance in what we say and do in public. This woman, however, is different. And she's the one who shows us the way we should be. This woman represents all of us. All men and all women, we're all sinners. There's no one who has not sinned. And most of us have sinned gravely at some point or other. And we all know it deeply. And our sins cling to us like tar. And it's very hard to get rid of them. And they dispose us to further sins. And they pull us down like someone tugging on our coat. Then the danger is that we become like the Pharisee 
who has developed a callous conscience, like calluses on your hands when you work hard outside. He has a certain coldness about him. We think, we can think if we're callous in our conscience that we don't have any sins because we're so used to it. Simon the Pharisee doesn't even realize he's offended Jesus by not offering him water for his feet, nor a kiss of greeting, nor anointing him as a guest. And we too can be blind to the offense we give to God with our callous behavior, our coldness to God, our indifference to God who died for us on the cross and loves us as a father. He died for us, and day by day, I continue to ignore him. Yet I say I want to, I say I want to go to heaven, but so often I deny Christ before men, or I keep my distance. And then we turn around, and I do it too, Lord. We turn around and judge others harshly and feel superior to them like the Pharisee judges the woman. We see the sins of others, but we're often blind to our own. To consider sin, we have to consider that it's first and foremost an offense against God. How often we forget that, that it can only be forgiven by God. It is a rejection of his plan for us. And when we do evil, we reject his plan of goodness. Secondly, sin hurts others. And Jesus says, what you do to the others, you do to me. So again, it offends God. Sin damages the church and the mystical body of Christ. It's like a wound in the mystical body of Christ. Our sin holds back all Christians and the efforts of all Christians to be holy and the work of evangelization in the world is held back by my sins. And finally, sin damages ourselves and may land us in eternal punishment forever. Sin always leaves a mark on our character, wounds that fester if not treated. Sin always leaves damage. We all need the sorrow of that woman and the healing forgiveness of Jesus. And as we look at Jesus in the tabernacle, and we look inside each one of us, we realize that we need that forgiveness too, that we need to play the role of that woman right now. In this time of prayer, we can do it because Jesus is here. And in his priest, in the sacrament of penance, we come before Jesus and we need to hear those words. Woman, man, your sins are forgiven.
If we don't do that, our sins will multiply. We have to live this scene. Each one of us has to live this scene. It's urgent. The woman felt enslaved, overwhelmed by her sins, trapped and disgusted by her sins. But she faced them and was sorrowful, and she knew the great truth that only God could help her. And so she risks public humiliation by crashing that dinner party. But it turns out that party was thrown for her. A huge celebration of forgiveness from Jesus himself. He was waiting for her as he's waiting for you and me right now. And he offers us that forgiveness in that personal encounter in the sacrament of penance that we have in the Catholic Church. She knows that there is only one who can help her, God alone. God alone can forgive sins. And many today go to therapists because they're stuck. They're confounded by their own behavior, by the accumulation of events in their life that seem to overwhelm them and get them into troubling situations over and over. I'm not saying that there's many good reasons to see therapists, but many times it can be because people are stuck by their own behavior. And we all need to be cleansed to be set right again, to get back on the right road. And there's only one person who can really do that for us, who can set us free and cleanse us from all the guilt of our sins. It is God himself. And thanks be to God, you are still close to us. And you offer me this chance through your priests to be forgiven. This gospel passage is a powerful passage for all of us. The Pharisee is right to think, who can forgive God, forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is saying, yes, God is among you to forgive your sins and that you may know that God has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to that paralytic in another scene, stand up and walk, that you may know that God has the power on earth to forgive sins. And he tells us that this power continues on earth through his ordained priests. What's the first gift that Christ gave to his church on Easter Sunday night when he appeared to the apostles? He says to them, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Now this is an incredibly powerful thing. 
It's the exact same thing when you approach an ordained priest in the sacrament of penance. In that moment, he is Christ. Christ uses that person, the ordained priest. The power of Christ has come on him through ordination, descending directly from Jesus through the first apostles down to today. In confession, Jesus is present for you as he was present for that woman. And he can forgive you. And we can say to our Lord right now, thank you, Lord, for this great gift. May I know how to treasure it. And the way to treasure it is to use it. St. Jose Maria, the founder of Opus Dei, used to say that sin is not our biggest problem. It's not asking for forgiveness. That's the biggest problem. Because sin can be overcome. Thanks be to Jesus in his mercy. It's not asking forgiveness that's the problem. When I sit in the confessional, speaking personally, and say Christ's words of absolution, your sins are forgiven, at times I'm overwhelmed at what I've just done or what God has done through me. A person on his way or in danger to eternal punishment for sin has been set free. A person spiritually dead is given new life. A person spiritually limping is restored. A person with no hope is restored to hope. Eternal hope. Glorious hope. Sin cannot overwhelm us if we turn to Christ because he's more powerful than any sin. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your continued closeness to us. We thank you for letting us live that scene that we see this woman live today. Priests should be flooded with people for confession. We should tell people about confession and bring people to it. Simon the Pharisee scorns the woman and he scorns Jesus. He thinks he's perfect. Matter of fact, Pharisee means the perfect. They fulfilled all the laws. But something's missing in him. It's all about him. We need to examine ourselves daily to catch our sins and failings. Little failings, slight sins are common. If we don't fight them, they lead to bigger sins. The Proverbs, book of Proverbs says, catch the little foxes that destroy the vine. It's often the little foxes that get in there eating at the roots that destroy the vine. Often today people say they don't believe in sin. And they don't know clearly what sin is until they find themselves all twisted up inside and outside and don't know why. Or they find themselves at odds with people. Or they find themselves isolated and bitter and angry and unhappy and don't really know why. 
where they find their whole life in shambles and don't quite know why. And it's so often because of sin. Sinful behavior that they've allowed into their lives. Uncontrolled sinful behavior that's become habitual. People can deny sin, but they can't deny the damage that it does in their lives and marriages and to their children and their families. You can sneer at God and the idea of sin, but you will pay the consequences of sin in your life, as so many are finding today, with the wounds that they have that they don't know how to heal. That's what happened to that woman and led her to Jesus. We have to know what sin is in order to avoid it. People have told me, I went to 12 years of Catholic school and I never heard that premarital sex was a sin. We need to learn to act rightly. We need to learn what a sin is. Nowadays, our culture does not talk about that. It's afraid to talk about it or precisely extols things that are sin as things that are good. We need to learn how to act rightly how to, in order to avoid sin in our lives. Where do we start? Well, the easy way to start is with the Ten Commandments. It's a great way to, it's a great, I'd recommend, get the Catholic Catechism and read through the section of the Ten Commandments. Very well written, very well presented, very interesting, very educational. It's not very long either, just a number of pages. The Ten Commandments are not just historical artifacts to be sneered at. They are the Word of God telling us truths about ourselves that are perennial and will never change. Commandments that if we violate them have serious consequences in our lives and in society around us. Perhaps we can run through a brief sketch. The first commandment. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have false gods before me. Do I have false gods in my life? Do I put things ahead of God? Money, possessions, career. If we put them ahead of God, we introduce a fundamental error into humanity, into our lives, which is idolatry. The idolatry of self of self-love, of greed, it can end up destroying us. And it does destroy people. If we put things, created things, ahead of God, it's like worshiping some kind of rock or a tree or it's idolatry. It sets us out on a wrong path and we have no idea where it will lead if we're led by selfishness. The second and third commandments, do not take God's name in vain, keep holy the Lord's day. Again, we must put God 
into our life, or we will be dominated by our passions and selfishness. Keep holy the Lord's day. It's a serious sin to miss Mass on Sunday. A serious sin, a mortal sin that casts God out of our soul. We can't get into heaven with a mortal sin. We need to go to confession and ask God's forgiveness if we miss Mass on Sunday. It's essential for ordering our family life or our lives properly. Otherwise, we're going to be dominated by superficial fads, by what we feel like doing, by moods. The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. The family has to be protected. It is essential to God's plan for mankind. It's not a mere social construct that we can do without. Family life comes ahead of career. God put us here on earth to take care of others, to love others, to have a family. Our work is a means of supporting my family, not the other way around. It's God's plan for man to live in a loving family. It must be protected or we will suffer greatly. Fifth commandment, do not kill. Drunkenness is a mortal sin, a serious sin. Reckless driving, drug use, abortion are all mortal sins. They cast God out of our soul. Hatred of others, vengeful thoughts, envious thoughts destroy us, not the person we hate. Hatred destroys us. They're great sins. We should not go to communion before going to confession. Sixth commandment, you should not commit adultery. This refers to all sexual sins. Sex outside of marriage, masturbation, pornography, contraception are all grave sins against God. They do great harm to us if we fall under impurity. Either we control sexuality or sexuality controls us and it dominates a lot of people. And they're slaves and they can't get out of it. We have to battle against these things or otherwise we end up spiritually deaf, dumb, blind, and dead. Seven, stealing is a sin. Its gravity depends on the value of what is stolen. Usually we have to make restitution to be forgiven. People have a right to private property. Justice at work and in the world is essential. Integrity and justice in our field of work is essential. We have an obligation before God to work hard with honesty, with integrity. If we go against this, we will pay the consequences. Eighth commandment, speak the truth, never lie. Lies deform us and twist us. Society cannot function without truthfulness. Lying is always a sin. The gravity depends on the matter. It can be a slight sin. It can be a very serious sin. We see the damage in this era, in this era, era of disinformation. It divides people. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to trust. It divides people into factions, tribes. The ninth and tenth commandment. Do not covet your neighbor's property. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Beware of all greed and covetousness. Detachment from things in this world is important. 
greed and avarice destroyed and will destroy the correct order in our lives. Marriage is sacred. Divorce and remarriage is a serious sin. As Jesus taught us, it destabilizes all society and always leaves grave wounds in the children and those involved. That's a quick run through. Sin really it destabilizes our whole life. It's not a doctrine, a Catholic doctrine. It's a reality. Our society is quaking today, crumbling because of sin. And we need to hate sin and root it out of our life, wherever it appears. And it doesn't matter if you believe in sin or not. It still damages us, and we have to try to get it right. Lord, help me to do that. And it takes a daily examination. Daily. Going to confession is a great way to learn. Ask the priest questions. Is this serious? Is it not serious? Is this a sin? Is it not a sin? So we root sin out of our life. We've got to be serious about that because it can destroy our life and the lives of our children, those around us. We have to end. Not everything gets set right immediately. The road ahead may still be rocky. The damage we've done may take time to heal. We may have to go back to confession a number of times to keep getting the guidance of the priest. But we're on the road to recovery because when we come to Jesus, we're always saved, we're always forgiven, we're always accepted, welcomed, loved. And he alone has the power to do that. Never separate yourself from Jesus. This woman broke through. She overcame. She humiliated herself in front of everybody. And there's a certain humiliation. I've got to go and talk to to a man who in that moment is God. I've got to break into that dinner party. And it's not easy. And people don't like to say that. I don't want to tell my sins to a man. Well, that moment is Jesus. We have to lower ourselves and hear those words that he wants to speak to you, to me. Woman, man, your sins are forgiven. Go in the peace of Christ. And we can be sure that we will find many to accompany us on this journey. Our guardian angel will help us. The Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints will be pulling for us. We never battle alone. But if we're willing to fight that battle, we will win. We will reach the glory of heaven. And we will have that final union with Jesus, the glory of heaven that will last forever and ever. And he promises us that. And he won't let us down as long as we go to him with that humility of that woman that we read today. We all are that woman. And he's waiting for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, 
My guardian angel intercede for me.